Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. We'll be commencing at verse 23 of the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's appropriate that we've come to this passage, because God's brought us here. But that last week we looked at the relationship between ourselves and God. And this week, the passage now turns to our relationship to other people and how we should be behaving towards them. So it's, it's quite correct and appropriate that we have come to this place here. So before we commence, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you now to open our hearts and minds. Lord, that the cares and the worries of this world might fade away before the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and his message to us today. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. You know, tempted has two sort of meanings in Scripture. Tempted can mean incited to do something wrong. You know, that's the idea we have of the the temptations that Christ had in the wilderness when the devil said to him, you know, you're hungry, command these stones to be made bread. An incitement to do something out of the will of God. But there's also the sense of temptation being a testing to see, are you up to the standard? Are you good enough? And so there are trials and temptations that occur in our life. And sometimes it's the same thing. Really, it's the same thing. On one hand, we can say it's an incitement to do wrong. But on the other hand, it's a chance to do right. And so we'll be generous to this lawyer, this uh, person who's, who's come before Christ and say, he's not inciting Christ to do wrong, but rather he's saying to him, okay, are you up to the standard? Can you give me the information I need here? Can you teach me the correct meanings of these things? I'm testing you. I'm giving you the opportunity now to show what you're made of. Okay, you know, teach me. Show me what it is that that you would want me to learn at this point of time. And so he tests him with a question. And the question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I also notice that he's respectful here. Respectful. He says to him, Master, what shall I do? That word could be translated uh, teacher. In fact, if they'd been speaking in Hebrew or Aramaic, he would have used the term rabbi. That's a respect. That's nice to see someone showing a little respect. So often it's not shown to people. And he said, Master, teacher, rabbi, what shall I do? But the first problem we have here is he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, anybody ever got an inheritance? You ever inherited anything? You know, from 
Aunt Bessie or somebody, you know, so someone left, you know, that castle in, in Scotland, the one with all the servants, nothing like that. But you know about inheritances, don't you? You've seen stories about them, you've heard stories about them. What do you do to inherit something? Absolutely nothing. It's just given to you. The concept of doing something to get an inheritance, it's like, it's, you know, like military intelligence or journalistic ethics or other things like that. They're mutually contradictory. You know, if you've got one, you can't be the other. So the, this, this person had a problem right from the start that he thought, I have to do something to inherit something. No, you don't do anything. You just are. And how do you inherit something? Someone else dies. Oh, we do inherit eternal life. He was right from that point of view. Definitely, we do inherit eternal life because someone else died. And the whole point of an inheritance is that we do nothing. So he had a bit of a confusion right from the start. All you do when you inherit is you receive. So Jesus says to him then in verse 26, what is, and he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Now this again is an interesting expression. That last little bit. How readest thou? You know they used to write that? On documents? When they wanted an opinion on something, they would send a message and down the bottom would be, how readest thou? In other words, what's your opinion on this? So let's say we had, oh, I don't know, a, a rabbi had come to be asked a question by uh, somebody like, like Greg there. Greg decided he's going to go fishing for yabbies on the Sabbath. And he comes to his rabbi and he says, is this okay or not? And the rabbi says, well, hang on, you can fish for them. That's, not, that's work you shouldn't be doing, but you can't eat them because they're not kosher. So uh, there's not, that's not work because you can't eat them, but you might be going to sell them to a Gentile, so that is work. And he go, hang on, I'll get another opinion. So he'd send it to another rabbi and he'd say, what about fishing for yabbies on the Sabbath? And he'd put underneath, how readest thou? These words here. That's what they do. So Jesus has turned this back to the, the, this expert in scripture. Because remember a lawyer turned here. A lawyer doesn't mean uh, you know, a barrister or a solicitor or anything like that. A lawyer means an expert in the law. We're talking about the law of Moses. So this expert in the law of Moses, who are sometimes called scribes or other terms for them, he's now given, been told, well, what do you think? You know, this business about answering questions with a question. Someone said to me, do you, know, do you always answer a question with a question? And I said, well, why not? You know, How readest thou? What do you think this says? And he, that is the lawyer, answering says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind as thy neighbour as thyself. 
He quotes. Where does he quote from? He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. And he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. You can look them up if you want to. That's the quotes. Incidentally, people who think that, that, uh, that the doctrine of, of thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself is a New Testament invention. Wrong. It's a quote from that dull, boring book of Leviticus. Yeah, that Leviticus book with all those rules and regulations in it that you get lost in wondering why am I reading this has tucked away in chapter 19, verse 18, that little gem, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. It's an Old Testament teaching. Nothing new here. And in fact, that first part from Deuteronomy chapter five, verse uh, chapter six, verse five, it commences with the words "Hear, O Israel." In fact, in Hebrew, it's pronounced as, as best I can do it, "Shoma ho Israel," "Hear, O Israel," and that passage is called in, to, to Jews the Shoma. After the first word, one of these days I'm, I'm going to learn the rest of it in Hebrew, just to be able just to, to say the whole, be able to say the whole thing. But it is the statement of faith of the Jewish people: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might." That is, and to love your neighbour as yourself. That is what is. Is written there. Jesus in verse 38 says unto him, You have answered correctly. This do and live. Now there's a grammar in there, a little piece of grammar. Now, when I was young, someone asked where my grandma was, and I said she lived in Lee and Gatha. But no, my grammar is supposed to be looking at the words. And he said to him, thou hast answered right, this do. Now there's two ways you can do something. You can do it once, or you can do it permanently. This has the sense of, this do, continuously, permanently, endlessly, all the time. Ah... That's a little bit harder, you know. It's fairly easy to come to church on Sunday morning and be sweet and pious and nice and say, yes, I love God and yes, I love my neighbour. Smile. It's only another half hour to go. We're right. I can smile for that long. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, do it continuously continuously that's tough that's really really hard and this lawyer realizes that there's a problem here what's the problem well he realizes that he's not doing it it's it's clear to un to understand what's happening here the lawyer says well what do i need to do 
Jesus says, what do you think? And he says, well, I need to love God perfectly and love my neighbour and treat my neighbour as well as I treat myself. And Jesus said, yes. Do that and live. And there's a stop. And nothing. You know, you can hear the cricket starting. Because this man realises he has been caught here. What does he do now? Because he knows he's not doing it. His knowledge of the law has served the function of the law and made him understand how much of a sinner he is and how much he fails God's standard. So he starts to think and he says, he thinks in, clearly in his, in his head, he thinks, how can I get out of this? There's got to be a loophole. There's got to be a way out of this thing where I have condemned myself by my own knowledge of the law. So he says in verse 29, but he being willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who's my neighbour? He being willing to justify himself. Who did he want to justify himself to? Who did he want to have say, oh, you're right, you're okay. Justify himself to God? God knows better than that. Justify himself to Jesus. He'd already got himself in enough trouble, uh, you know, by debating with this, this fellow. He, he was... He, he should have realised that the more he was talking, the deeper he was digging himself. Justify himself to his colleagues? Perhaps. But I think he wanted to justify himself to himself. He wanted an excuse that he could put in his heart and mind and say, well, that's why I'm not doing it. There, there, you feel okay about it now because that's the reason. He wanted an excuse to justify what he was not doing. So he said, who is my neighbour? He conveniently jumped over the love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, because he wasn't doing that either. Nobody can do that. And he'd gone on to the, what he thought was the easy bit. He says, I'll go to the simple bit here. Who's my neighbour? Well, I can't tell, so I'm off the hook. Jesus then commences one of the most amazing and magnificent stories in all scripture. It is an absolute gem. It's only found in Luke. Interestingly, none of the other gospel writers recorded it. Just Luke did. And Luke's, and, and Luke's recording of, of the things that only he does are very significant. It tells you more about Luke than a lot of other things. If there was a story about somebody who got the raw end of the deal, Luke recorded it. If there was a message about a woman who was given a hard time by society, Luke recorded it. Incidentally, if there was a story about somebody who was suffering a medical condition, Luke recorded it. 
Tells you a lot about the man. And Jesus answering and said, we're going to read all the way down first, just so we get the whole whole story. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest by that way, and when he saw him he passed on by the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. What a story. What an amazing story. Now this parable of the Good Samaritan is significant for several things. It's significant because it has a fixed time and place. Very few parables are fixed in place. You know, a certain man went out to sow. Could be anywhere. Could be any time. But here we are fixed in place from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I am not going to take the Augustinian view here. Augustine, nice fellow, wrote some good stuff, but I think he got a little bit carried away here. This is Augustine's view of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Augustine says that the man is Adam, that Jerusalem is Eden. Jericho represents the the moon because it changes and goes from larger to smaller and vice versa. That the robbers are Satan and and the demons. That the raiment is the righteousness that Adam had before he fell. That in the man was half dead, he was able to... He was not able to save himself and yet he was able to respond to the person who came past. That's theological quicksand if ever I've seen it myself. He was only half dead. And therefore dead in sins, able to respond but not able to save himself. The priest represents the law. The Levite represents works, both unable to save. The Samaritan represents Christ. The oil and wine represent the Holy Spirit. The the beast represents the church. I guess that makes the pastor the head donkey. Uh, the, The inn represents heaven. The two pence represent baptism in the Lord's table. Um, And the innkeeper, well, he wasn't sure whether that was Peter or Paul having the the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We're not going to go down that sort of allegorical work here because that's not what Jesus was getting at. In, In going to this extreme, people missed the point of what he's trying to say. They've, they've, they've looked so much at the detail that they've forgotten the big picture. What is this a parable about? It's a parable about a person who could not help themselves and was helped by someone else. It's a story of someone who couldn't help themselves and was helped by somebody else. That's really, really 
simple to understand. Incidentally, Augustine, that's good application, but lousy interpretation. Uh, you can apply it if you want. There's lots of lessons to learn in there, but we're looking at what is Jesus getting at here? Verse 36. What thinkest thou of these three? Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbour? Now I want you to look for a few things here. What do you think? What was the previous question that Jesus asked this, this lawyer, this expert? What do you read in Scripture? What does the law tell you? And he gave an answer. But now he says to him, what do you think? What does your heart tell you? What's your, what, what, what do you think is... What, what, when you look at this, does your heart and soul say is happening here. And the man responds and says, he that showed mercy upon him. Let's go back and look again at this parable. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 15 miles. It runs down. All, just about all the way. It's downhill all the way. Some people's lives, while not very long, run downhill all the way. We know people like that, whose lives have run downhill. You know the worst thing about going downhill? You ever, you know, put the car in angel gear? Downhill? What happens? You go faster and faster and faster. Some people's lives are like that. They start off going downhill and they just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And the truth is that sooner or later when you do that free wheel downhill, there's a car crash. And these people, so many of people we know, have crashed their lives. Their lives are a wreck and a mess. And some people look at them and say, there's a lot of evidence you shouldn't do things like that and pass by. Other people look at them and say, if they just try a bit harder, if they just put a bit of effort in, and their lives continue to spiral out of control. Christians are called to put the effort in ourselves. There is a world out there that hurts. Inside these walls, you have friends. Inside these walls, you have people who care about you. Inside these walls, you have people who love you. You step outside these walls and you don't have that anymore. And there's a world out there who's never come in here to hear the gospel, never come in here to hear that God loves them, never come in here to hear that there is 
a home in heaven and outside they are hurting. And they're hurting because their lives have spun out of control and ended up a wreck on a road going downhill. What do you think they need? What they need is a neighbour. What they need is someone to care. What they need is someone to take some time out of their life and look after them. The question is never, who is my neighbour? The question, who is my neighbour, is a foolish question. The question is, who can I be a neighbour to? What does it mean to be a neighbour? If you look for the basic definition of a neighbour, it would be the person who lived next door, wouldn't it? That would be your neighbour. Do you know your neighbour's name? Do you know their name? You know who they are? Have you ever introduced yourself to your neighbour? We get so insulated and so tied up in our own little worlds these days that we never speak to our neighbours. Person next door. Now we we met our neighbours just recently and I cannot pronounce their names. I heard it, but they've got a name that I think that contains all the letters of the alphabet, except X, uh, several times. They're from Fiji. But they have got the cutest little new baby. And he's so sweet. Now, Julie is going to spend some time with our neighbours. Right? You can do that. There are openings and opportunities you get in a situation like that. Their problem was that they needed someone to sign a a piece of paper for them and, and they didn't know exactly whether they'd filled out the forms right or not. And, and uh, they had to, they were registering the birth of this little baby and they, they had to, to fill it out. And I, I looked at where they, uh, where they were filling in his name and I said, I felt like saying, you're going to need some more room on that piece of paper to put that name in. But we were, we were able to, to sign it for them and explain, yeah, this is how you do it, it'll be okay. We'll talk to our neighbours. Do you know your neighbours? Have you talked to your neighbours? Who is my neighbour? There's an, an interesting way to understand this too. There's our neighbours, yeah, it's a guy next door, the person in the next house. When we were... In Bali, a few years ago, well, actually, let's rewind. When we were in, in Coolangatta just a couple of weeks ago, someone said to us, where, were you, where are you from? We said, Victoria. But when we were in Bali, or when we were in America a few years after that, they said, where are you from? I said, Australia. I, I reckon if, if, if you took a spaceship out to Mars and you had to talk to some 
green-eyed, you know, three, three-toed alien there and said, where are you? and they said, where are you from? What would you say? You wouldn't say Coolaroo or, or Carlton. You'd say, third rock from the sun, the blue one. So if, if your neighbour is the person who lives next door to you, where are you from? Everybody on that planet's your neighbour because they live next door. Understanding that we are surrounded by people who need our help. Being a neighbour and being neighbourly is not how we show we're a Christian. Hang on a minute, I thought it was. No, 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 hang on. You don't put on a show of being a neighbour to prove how you're a, that you're a Christian. It should be the normal outworking of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life of joy and peace and, and for, uh, forgiveness and a nice spiritual attitude should make you a good neighbour. And being a good neighbour shouldn't be an act that you put on. It should be an attitude that you have all the time. And it's hard. And without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I don't know how you could do it. His neighbour. This man in the parable who's, who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, like so many lives, ending up in a crash, half dead. People come past. Now, it's, I'm going to just put on something just for interest here, just to have you look at verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest. That word chance, it's the only place that word's used in Scripture. In the New Testament, chance. Chance meaning luck. It's the only place it happens, is this passage here. There's chance is used another way in, in 1 Corinthians, but to mean happening by luck, it's the only place in the New Testament this happens. By chance. Nothing good happens by chance. Nothing good happens by chance. By chance, there was a certain priest. You know, um, I, I told you we had little Gracie visiting with us, and she loves to play card games. She, she was teaching me how to play a card game there, and, and I was getting everything ready for it. And she said to me, Is, does this classify it as a game of chance? And I said, Gracie, not the way I deal. So... By chance, someone came down. But look at the Good Samaritan. As he journeyed, he was going somewhere. We are not like the priest and the Levite who travel by chance. You want me to pull a plug on that? Any plug or just uh, that one? Not that it makes any never mind to me. We are not travelling by chance. 
We are not progressing through life randomly. You know, you see those like, like, like um, pinball machines, you know, bouncing off various things and going until you finally drop in a hole somewhere. That's not the way we live. We are not travelling by chance. We are on a journey. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, you know why? Because we're going somewhere. We have a destination and we're going to get there. And it's on our journey that we meet people. Not by chance, but by divine appointment. That, that wounded, robbed person was not lying in the road by chance. He was there because God had put him there and he had put someone to come along and find him. When you meet your neighbours and when you are a neighbour to people, you will find that the people you meet are not there by chance and neither are you. You are there on a journey, you're on a journey and you meet people by divine appointment. God picks somebody for you to run into. Hopefully at a fairly slow speed so you only damage the bumpers. But you will run into people. And they're there because God wants you to meet them. And God wants you to help them. And God wants you to interact with them to do his will in their lives. God calls us to be neighbours to, to the people we meet. Verse 37, it says, the, the lawyer says, He that showed mercy upon him, then Jesus said unto him, Go thou and do likewise. You know, that's the same tense that was used in that earlier, earlier verse, where it says, This do and live. Well, it's the same sort of concept. Go and do likewise all the time continuously. Not just a one-off. You can't go and say, oh look, I helped somebody. Okay, that's it for this week. I, the rest of the week I can ignore people because I've done my good deed for the day. You're not, you, this isn't the Boy Scouts. You don't do your good deed for the day and then say, okay, God, I've, I've done my bit. Looked after one neighbour. What do your neighbours need? What do your neighbours need? Sometimes your neighbours need physical help. There's a bunch of people up in Queensland and in places in Victoria who need physical help. Sometimes being a good neighbour means doing something physical, helping them. What, do your, what else do your neighbours need? Your neighbours need to know your name. Yeah. I said, do you know your neighbour's name? Well, do they know yours? They need to know that people care. They need to know that people care. So I tell you, the world doesn't. 
They need to know that Christians care. Earlier last, this past week we were gone, I was chatting with uh, someone whose son's about to become a, uh, an ambo. And we mentioned the fact the two worst days for ambos, two worst days to be on, on a call on ambulance, Christmas Day and Mother's Day. You know why? Because people sit at home and realise that no one cares and they harm themselves. That's sad. That is so sad that people do damage to themselves because they think no one cares. Because the world doesn't care. But we know our God cares and so should we. Neighbours need to know your name. Sometimes a neighbour needs physical help. Sometimes neighbours need to know who you are. Neighbours need a word. Neighbours need the word. They need to know that you're a Christian and because you're a Christian, you love them and you care about them. And if you don't love them and care about them, you should. Because their souls have been given into your keeping. God put them in your path. God put them in the house next door to you. For what? For the sole purpose of you talking to them. Again, you think this is a New Testament doctrine? Have a look. Have a look in Exodus chapter 12. Have a look in Exodus chapter 12. This is the story of the Passover. Okay? This is the story of the Passover. The Jews are getting ready to, be, to, to leave Egypt, to be liberated out of 400 years of slavery. And they're getting ready to be protected from the death of the firstborn that God is going to bring down on, on Pharaoh and his people. Exodus chapter 12. Now look over. At this description, Exodus 12, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months, shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take unto them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Okay? Really simple so far. Every household to take a lamb and they're going to sacrifice that lamb and they're going to, that blood will protect them from the death of the firstborn that's coming. You know, okay, fine, we know that story, but have a look at the next verse. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbour next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Who do you share the lamb with? Your neighbour. Yeah. Who is our neighbour? Our neighbour is every person we can share the lamb with. 
Everybody you can share the Lamb of God with is your neighbour. And your neighbour needs your help. This again is is an unusual message for me. It's, It's perhaps not the way I normally speak or preach, but it's something the Lord has laid upon my heart. That God has put you in contact with certain people. They are your neighbours. They are in desperate, desperate need. They are in need of a kind word. They are in need of a loving heart. And they are in need of the gospel. Share the lamb with them. Everybody you can share the lamb with is your neighbour. We're coming up to a time when an evangelist is going to be coming here. I've heard the guy preach. He's good. Your neighbours need to hear him. Your neighbours need to hear the message. If you feel like, oh, look, I, 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 I really get embarrassing it's so hard to 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 talk to people and I don't know what to say and I'm I'm concerned that I'll mess things up well tell come along and listen to this guy he'll explain it to you believe me he'll explain it to them your neighbors are in need this week let's have a look at our neighbors everybody you can share the lamb with is your neighbour. And as our Saviour said, go thou and do likewise. Thank you.